Have you ever thought about how many Christian ministries there are out there? Uh, preachers, authors, books, um, YouTubers, uh, blogs. 10,000? I don't know. A zillion. A zillion. Um, a lot of Christian ministries, and you probably all had some friend or family member or somebody come running up to you and go, oh, you should hear this guy, he's so good. You know, and there's no shortage of, I mean, there's too many. You know, I'm, a, I'm a book nut and I'll wander, when going to Goodwill, I'll go through Goodwill's religion section and, and there's all these people I've never heard of. One of the first things I do is look at who's recommending them, who's the uh, endorsement. And, uh, but more than that, whenever there's a ministry, some TV preacher you want to listen to, first question is, who is Jesus? Listen carefully to see who he is explaining Jesus to be. Um, there's an awful lot of fluff out there, a lot of error. And by just starting with, he's got to get Jesus right or he's wrong. Um, so today we're going to have kind of a G, who is Jesus 101. This is blocking and tackling. It's kind of the, um, a refresher, but it needs to be refreshed. I need it refreshed. So let's pray. Lord, we just come to you this morning, and we seek you. I pray, Lord, that you would make our brains a little bit bigger, our minds clearer, and allow us to see you more clearly. Lord, I pray that you'd keep me out of the way and let your word speak and that we will walk away knowing that you are supreme. We ask these things in your mighty name. Amen. Who is Jesus? Okay. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians 1.22. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and we'll get one to you because we're going to be jumping around a little bit. Um, 1 Corinthians one twenty two. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness, but to those who are the called, both Greeks and Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Uh, there are so many, you know, in this, these COVID days, we've had a lot of, uh, I get emails every day from the Oregon Health Authority, and they have special ones for faith institutions. They aren't churches, they're called faith institutions or faith communities. Um, there's a wide, wide range. And what I want to look at is this phrase, we preach Christ crucified. So a lot of people meet together as we. That's all they have of that sentence, we. And their, their community of friends, it could be the Lions or the Elks, the Dorymen. You know, they may call themselves a church, but if that's all they do is just, it's just we. They're missing the point. They're not even starting down the path. We preach. There's others that will have some kind of, uh, it's a community that works to uplift and, and encourage to grow people. They tend to be more inclusive. They tend to be more, uh, you know, we just love one another. And that's we preach. We preach Christ is going further, but often they, they're looking for 
They focus on the Sermon on the Mount. They focus, I mean, that's wonderful. I love it. But they'll focus on the Sermon on the Mount, the Good Samaritan, some parables, um, good teachings, good examples of Jesus. And they're, um, it's kind of like driving down a, you know, they're trying to miss the sections all through the Bible that talk about um, Jesus crucified. The, um, it's everywhere. It's hard to miss. But they'll steer around these. It's like driving in Tillamook County Road trying to miss potholes. They're just, oh, there's another one. Look out. And somehow they're getting stuff out of the Bible and missing the, all those, those glorious potholes. And um, again, we have Dan who will drive us in his minivan straight down the middle of the road, hitting all the potholes he can. And so um, there is a difference. These, they will preach Christ, but they'll go to great lengths to keep from preaching Christ crucified. Uh, the last one again. We preach Christ crucified. Focus on the gospel, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. Um, it's the great exchange. He took all of our sin on him, and in exchange, we got righteousness. And it's not fair, but I'm taking it. Um, and almost every major religion has some reference to Jesus. They see Jesus as a prophet. The, the Muslims do. See Jesus as a prophet. Others will see him as a good teacher, a, um, an example to follow. Um, the problem is the Bible tells us so much more about Jesus. That is not the Jesus of the Bible. Um, the Bible is supremely a book about Jesus Christ. And, you know, again, was it C.S. Lewis? One of the things he said, people will take Jesus, you know, how did he put it? Believing Jesus to be only a good teacher is not an option. You know, he was either, he's either Lord of our lives, Lord of the universe, he's nuts, he's a lunatic, or he's a con man, a liar. The Lord, lunatic, or liar. You can only be one of those three. You pick one. Um, and just an example of where the Scripture points to Jesus. Look at Luke 24, 27. And this is Jesus near the end of his life talking to some disciples. And he said, then, beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, the Old Testament, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. John 5.39 says, uh, you, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me. Scriptures point to Jesus all the way through. Um, I'm a big fan of John MacArthur. Okay, Great t Bible teacher. Um, during this COVID thing, he was just an example for churches and just keeping his church open against some of the, uh, some odds. And, uh, but mostly just a fantastic Bible teacher. But if John MacArthur came out one day and said, you know, actually, me and the Father are one. I'm divine. And, or I was dead and raised from the, for the dead. 
all of a sudden he's not qualified to be a teacher. He's crossed a line. You know, it's a it's Lord, lunatic, or liar. And um, so now let's let's take a look and see what does the Bible say about who Jesus is. Let's go and before we get to Colossians, we'll get there. Uh, John twenty. 30 and 31. Um, a lot of these are coming from John just because the men are studying through John and it's all fresh and, and, uh, and it's very, very relevant. John summarized his whole gospel in these two verses, what he wanted to include and not include. Um, so John 20, 30 says, Therefore many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these, the stuff he did include, these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. John was very clear. His book was written so that Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is God, and eternal life comes through Jesus Christ. Um, turn to John 1.1. 1, 1. Another precursor to Colossians. But John 1.1, 1, 1, you're all familiar with this. Um, <clears throat> In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him. And apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Okay, we're going to skip to verse 14 for a second because... Some people will teach, oh, well, this word is a, it's kind of this cosmic force. It's, um, it's God's communication or something. You know, it's, they, they sort of spiritualize it to some level where you go, no. Let's look at verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? And we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So if the word equals Jesus, um, Paul, you'll like this. This is an algebraic uh, equality rule or something. If, if A equals B, you can substitute A in for B anywhere in the equation, right, to, to get to the answer. So let's take... Uh, the word equals Jesus. Let's take Jesus and insert it into John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was Jesus. That clear? And Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. Jesus was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Jesus. And apart from Jesus came nothing into being that has come into being. Okay. The Bible is the best interpreter of the Bible. We can jump around, and if you see something that really doesn't make sense, step back and say, well, where else is this talked about? And get some clarification there. Um, in the beginning was Jesus. Okay, let's go to Colossians 1.15. And this is, <clears throat> it's a unique spot in the Bible because it has in one small area a full picture of who Jesus is. Um, let me read it all, and then we're going to kind of unpack it one verse at a time. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. We'll get to back to firstborn in a little bit. That's an important word. 
For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. They're saying anything, angels even. You know, All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church. And he is the, the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure. Another term I love. We'll talk about more. The Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself. Having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. We're talking about Christ's supremacy here. If you look up supremacy, it just means the state or condition of being superior to all others in authority, power, or status. We're talking about Jesus is superior here. Um, So, verse 15 Jesus is God. Let's look at it. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. People have twisted some of these words before. Image just means an exact copy or likeness. He is the image of God. Um, Jesus was not, quote, made in the image of God like man was. Not made in the image of God. He is the image of God. He is the exact likeness. Um, and in Hebrews 1.3, another one of these concentration, concentrated verses, Hebrews 1.3 says, He is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. He upholds all things by the word of his power, and he has made purification. And when he had made purifications of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. You can see him, he was resurrected, he had paid the price for sins, he goes back to get his throne, and they kind of do a little high five, like, we did it. You know, it's done. Um, it's a big event. Um, but it says he's the radiance of his glory. It doesn't say he's reflecting the radiance from God or anything like that. He is the radiance. It's just emanating from inside of him. It's the glory. Okay. And who did Jesus claim to be? A lot of people go, well, he never really claimed to be Jesus. The Christians came along centuries later and kind of made up some stuff about him and tried to, to make it a little bigger than it was. Well, Jesus said, John eight fifty eight. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. What's I am mean? That's the same as Yahweh. That's God's personal name. It means I am. So, so how did the Jews take that? Next, next part of the verse. Um, next verse. Therefore, they picked up stones to throw at him because. And then, but Jesus hid himself and ran out of the temple. They knew. They knew exactly what Jesus was saying when he said, "Before Abraham was, I am," and he was claiming to be God. And immediately they grabbed stones and threw it at him. Next, uh, John 10, a couple, couple uh, chapters back. John 10, 30. My Father, this is again Jesus speaking to Pharisees, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. 
No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. You ready? I and the Father are one. Once again, the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. They knew what he was saying. He was claiming to be God. It's no small thing. Um, also, Jesus, never, he didn't stop people from worshiping him. Um, <clears throat> in Acts, we see where John and Peter were together and people tried to worship them. And they go, no, 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 stop, stop. You're not to do that. Uh, they tried to worship Paul. And he stopped them. He goes, no, I'm just another man. Uh, John was writing Revelation, and he was kind of in a trance. We're not sure how it worked, but he was seeing a vision of heaven. And an angel was showing him things, and he tried to worship the angel. And he goes, no, stop it. We don't do that. You only worship Jesus, worship God. And um, when, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, there were those that worshipped him. There were <clears throat> When he calmed the storm with the disciples, they worshipped him. He didn't stop them and go, no, 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 guys, don't do that. He accepted the worship. Um, Thomas, doubting Thomas, remember? He's more like me than most of the other disciples, I think. But He needed to see a little bit more. And so he felt the, felt the scars. And what was his response? It was my Lord and my God. He recognized Jesus was God. Okay, <clears throat> okay this word firstborn, because it... That verse that we reread, uh, verse 15, he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Well, firstborn can mean two things. There's a literal, literal and a metaphorical uh, meaning. Literal just means the first one born. Megan is firstborn in your family, right? Um, but also more frequently, especially in talking about Christ, firstborn just means the preeminent one, the most important, um, the the sovereign, the authority. Um, it speaks of Christ's pre-existence. So over and over again, you're going to come across firstborn, the firstborn of the dead. How can he be a, Jesus be a firstborn son if he's the only son of God? So firstborn was used very frequently just to say he's the supreme, he's the preeminent one. Um, and a lot of people have tried to make something else of Jesus being God. They're just saying, well, yeah, God created him first and made him special. And then he handed him the creation wand and said, here, you finish, go ahead. And goes, no, that's not what happened. Um, verse, um, verse 16, he's the creator of all things. For, for by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He didn't just create the earth, he created all things. Um, not just by him, but for him, if you will, for his good pleasure. Is, you know, Jesus, you know, I don't know if the Trinity had a meeting in the conference room before they started creation. And they, how about hummingbirds? That'd be really cool. I like hummingbirds. You know, they, I don't know how they planned this out, but then when it was time, they were just created by Christ immediately. Um, <clears throat> so he's the creator of all things. I have to stop on creation because I get too excited about it. And we'll be here late. Um, the third one. Okay, he's, he, he is God. He is the creator. 
And in verse 17 it says, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Your translation may say consist or sustain. Um, hold together. I like that word. It's, okay, there's kind of a trigger alert now. It's going to get nerdy for a few minutes. But uh, just buckle down. And, and Physicists have told us there's four fundamental forces in the universe. They, you know, all the zillion forces can be broken down into four. There's gravity, there's electromagnetic forces. There's what's called weak nuclear force, which is used in radioactive decay and stuff. Um, guess what the fourth one is? If there's a weak nuclear force, it's a strong nuclear force. That strong nuclear force is needed. It's, it's a mystery, but we'll get to that. Um, <clears throat> remember high school chemistry? Probably had a chart on the wall that's called Bohr's atomic model. Um, you have this atom, picture of an atom, and a negatively charged electrons are orbiting around it. And in the center is a nucleus. The nucleus has positive particles called protons and neutral, part of, neutral particles called neutrons. Um, okay, like charges attract, opposite charges repel, right? You ever had those little rare earth magnets, really strong ones, and you get them aligned right so you, you just cannot push them together? Well, that's what the nucleus is. You've got all these positively charged things that are being crammed together into a nucleus. There, there are new, neutrons, no charge, but it's kind of like little pieces of cork or wood in there that don't do anything. But these protons hold together. Um, why? Well, physicists have come up with something called a strong nuclear force, and they know exactly how strong it needs to be because they know how strong the proton charges are and how strong it needs to be to maintain that, but it's fairly recently that, you know, with some quantum physics, they've come up with quarks and bosons and gluons, of all things. And spin and color and, and, all, and you know, there's some hand-waving, and all of a sudden this is how strong nuclear force works. Well, it's not clear to most of us what that means. You know, we could call it a Jesus force because it's obvious. The force ob obviously exists because things don't fly apart. We're sitting here, and it's all appears solid, but we're not far from flying apart. You know? um, so, Second Peter three ten, just real quick, he's talking about the last days, and Peter, he says, "But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up." Could it be that Jesus just kind of, okay, so just let's go, and it comes apart? I don't know. The Bible says that um, in verse 17, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. I'm going to believe that. Um, Jesus is God. He's the creator. He's the sustainer, and he's the head of the church. Um, Verse 18 and 19 say, He is also head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, there's that word again, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. Um, you know, corporations have a head, a CEO, 
right? He kind of answers to a board of directors. He can go on vacation and such. That's not the head we're talking about. He's, they talk about the church as a body, and the head of the body is Christ. You know, we, are, we were designed as believers to be part of that body, not sitting alone at home or in a, sitting on the beach saying we're worshiping God. Um, we're designed to be a body. We're all little fingers and elbows and toes and, and whatever, livers. Uh, but we're meant to fit together. We're designed for that. Uh, <clears throat> so a number of places talk about Christ as head of the church, but he kind of weaves that into a, a different story. He's, he's given a, Paul is giving a lesson about husbands and wives, families. And in the middle of that, he slips in a part about Christ being head of the church. Ephesians 5.22 starts with, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. Husbands and wives is for another week. Okay, we're talking about head of the church today. Um, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. What does gave him, give himself up for mean? It means he died. Christ died for the church. Um, that's His focus is the church. And there's, there's our local church, just so you know, it's maybe C with us, lowercase c. Uh, our local church of just, just us, you know. And then there's a universal church that is all the saved throughout time, all over the world, forever. And they are, and we're part of that. We're part of the universal church as well. Um, Jesus is God. He's the creator. He's the sustainer. He's the head of the church. And fifth, verse 20, he is the, our Savior and Lord. He is the one, no, wrong place. For it was God's good pleasure, once again that, God's, it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. And through him to reconcile, means to kind of bring together, to, to line up all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. You know, a lot of people, a lot of churches will almost teach that, well, the, yeah, I know the crucifixion's in there. It's just some theological thing that God and his son had to kind of work out so that Jesus could love us more. You know, it's just, it's just details. But now Jesus is free to love us more. No, no, no. It's not true. Okay. Jesus came to earth primarily to die. That was his whole mission, to die and to be resurrected, to take our sins upon himself. First um, Timothy 1.15 says, this is Paul speaking, it's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. He is there to, to bring us to God. Um, often in the, in the New Testament, you'll see Jesus saying, 
my time has not yet come. My hour has not yet come, over and over again. He said that to his mother at, at the, uh, the marriage in Cana. He said it often where people were saying, oh, you need to do this. His brothers were trying to get him to go up to Jerusalem early. And he goes, no, my hour has not yet come. It's a way of just saying not yet. This is, I'm here for a purpose. It's coming. There's a timetable, and we're on the timetable. Then Luke, Luke 9, 51 It says, when the days were approaching for his ascension, or his going back to heaven, he was determined to go to Jerusalem. Uh, Some translations will say, he set his face towards Jerusalem. That's what the words actually mean. It's like he's doing all these things and healing people, and he's teaching. He's Really, he's teaching his disciples. He's getting his apostles trained. But then at one point, he just turns his face to Jerusalem and... In Luke, it took 10 more chapters to get there, but he's really on his way there. Nothing is stopping him, because that's what he's there for. Um, and in John 17, verse 1, this was at the, Lord, at the, uh, the Last Supper. This is Jesus' prayer to God in front of his disciples. And Jesus spoke these things, and lifting up his eyes to heaven said, Father... The hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. He's saying now's the time. This is is it. And it was right before he was arrested and tried and crucified. So Jesus knew his whole purpose was um, to die on the cross, to save sinners. We're out of numbers here. One more I got, just just in case. Uh, Just... John 5.22, one thing, Jesus is the final judge of all things. We think, well, God's going to judge us, and somehow God will hold up the scale, and your good stuff and your bad stuff are on opposite sides, and if you're good enough, you get into heaven. Well, first of all, God's not the judge. Jesus is. It says, for not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son. And... We see in a number of places it talks about the people whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You know, um, these are those that, that are being saved. Um, in the Great White Throne Judgment, they talk about they open the books, plural, and they open the book. Well, the books, plural, was a listing of all this stuff you've done. You know, right there. Mitch Tingley. It's, yeah. It's all the stuff we've done, you know, the, you know, whether it's recorded digitally, we don't know. There's something. Um, and then there's the books. And so Satan's the accuser, and he's going down there and goes, oh, oh, look, here's Mitch, you know, here's his Lloyd. And Jesus just interrupts him and goes, wait a minute, his name's here, forget it. You know, just, we're let out on a technicality. That's really what's going on. We're just as guilty as others, but we're on a technicality because Jesus has covered our sins. Um, Okay, with this supremacy of Christ, this is so important. Um, When we understand the supremacy of Christ, along with the sovereignty of God, these are kind of two sides to the same, same story, we have a more accurate view of him. The supremacy of Christ is central 
to an accurate view of his person, his work, our status as believers, and the kingdom. Um, all of us somewhere have to come to the point where it's like Pilate's question. You know, he was at the trial of Jesus. He finally goes, well, what, I, what do I do? Um, what do I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? It's like each of us have to decide that somewhere. You know, he's not a good teacher. You can't, you can't fall back on that one. Just, just a good teacher. He's a Lord, lunatic, or liar. And today, for, for believers, we're going to meet together with the table. And um, what's so important about this is we step back and say, okay, what are the two big holidays for the church? You know, where we, everybody comes to church. Christmas and Easter, right? Jesus' birth and Jesus' resurrection. Um, did Jesus ever ask us to remember his birth? Did he ever ask us to remember his resurrection? I mean, it's, Dan will have to straighten this out next week um, <laughs> after I've done this. But um, I don't think so. What Jesus asked us to remember was his death. Which was the hardest, the death or the resurrection? I'm, I'm moving off scripture a little bit. I'm just thinking. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. I don't think he had any doubt that God could raise him from the dead. Um, And he knew the human side of Jesus, I'm sure, was thinking, oh man, this is going to hurt. Think of his praying at the Garden of Gethsemane. Lord, if there's any other way, let's do it. But nevertheless, we're going to do this. I've signed up. I'm ready to Jesus was scared, I'm sure. The human side of him was scared, but his face was set towards Jerusalem and his death. And then the, I don't know how this works, but the divine side of Jesus would have been concerned because he's suddenly going to be, have everything dumped on him that he hated most of sin. He was going to become sin, and his father was going to turn his back on him. You imagine that? That would be hard also. But he did it, you know. Um, the last song we sang, Above All, we've talked, I struggle with one line in there about um, like a rose trampled on the ground. You know, he took the fall and thought of me above all. I, we, were, we were thought of while Jesus was on the cross, but he did this for the glory of God. He, he went through and finished because it was for, um, you know, John 17, 1 again says, Jesus spoke these things and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has, son- has come. Glorify your son so that, that the son may glorify you. You know, that's what he's doing. He's doing this for God. Um, Dan and I have talked about this. The, trying to work out new words to that line, but... Haven't yet. Otherwise, it's a pretty good song. Um, When we come to the table, we're to remember Christ's death. That's what he asked us to. Remember the supremacy of Christ. As big as he was, he allowed himself to be killed mercilessly. Um, I imagine that angels, they said angels had guard over him. Somebody had to restrain the angels to keep them from coming down and rescuing Jesus. Um, He died... Um, and it's also a time for just examination. You know, examine yourself. See how you. 
Sin separates us from our relationship with God. And we just need to, this is the perfect time, you know, periodically to just settle the score, you know, confess things, get things right. And so as things are being passed out and music's played, it's a good time to confess and get things freshed, freshened up, if you will. So let's pray. Lord, I, I just, again, I pray that you make our minds a little bit bigger, our brains bigger, so that we can understand better who you are and see how big you are um, and how small we are in comparison, Lord. It's essential for worship. Uh, Lord, I pray that as we uh, go on and meet at your table, Lord, that you would be pleased, you would be See the relationships between us and you restored. Lord, we, we ask all of these things in your mighty name. Amen.